We are live. Welcome to episode 25 of Shifty Perspective. In this episode, we have Dr. Emil Kenziora. Dr. Emil Kenziora is the president of the board of the European Biostasis Foundation based in Switzerland. He has a background in medicine, cancer research, and is also involved in a number of different startups. He is currently setting up first European cryopreservation facility which to some people is known as cryonics or where you basically are keeping somebody alive or frozen or low temperature until you can bring them back in the future. It's uh, stuff from science fiction and seeming to become science fact. So Dr. Emil, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well. How about you? I'm good. I've, I've uh, got a little bit of a sniffle, not not COVID. I, don't, uh, I believe I, I have tested myself and uh, I'm negative, but apart from that, feeling pretty good. Awesome. How uh, how are things going then with your, uh, in fact, rather than just going straight into how are things going with the, um, with the setup of the foundation and the facility, would you like to share to listeners what it is exactly you are in the process of doing? Because I kind of butchered it a bit <laughs> in my way. No worries, all good. Yeah, happy to do so. Cool. So as you already mentioned, um, I'm, I'm in the process or I have been building um, an, an institute, a research institute, and at the same time, and this is what you mentioned, this is this European Biostasis Foundation based in Switzerland, but this is a research institute. So this will do biomedical research, uh, organ transplantation research, other types of, of, of uh, in quotation marks, boring research. Um, and on the other hand, I'm setting up or I have, I have been building a company um, for Europe based here in, in Berlin, in Germany, called Tomorrow Biostasis that offers um, cryopreservation for, for customers. And as you already mentioned, cryopreservation is, a, is, a, is, a, is an advanced medical procedure. Very much people usually know this concept from science fiction, right? Like from, um, mm -hmm. from Star Trek, from, from, from Star Wars to a degree and, and from other sci-fi movies oh, where yeah. you go into on, on long interstellar flights, you go into these cryo sleeping pods where oh we've appeared to have lost connection hello can you hear me oh, i can hear you just fine but um i lost video for a second okay uh, i'm not sure what happened there um it's uh, it... yeah, you're cutting in and out a bit but um it seems to be maybe fine okay video seems to be good now cool okay great so uh, I, uh, it cuts out just as you said, science fiction for me. So if you want to okay. continue from there. Yeah, so, so as I just mentioned, it's, it's, it's a concept that is mostly known from science fiction to most people. Um, mm -hmm. From Star Trek, from other sci-fi movies, um, where figuratively speaking, like when, when, you, when, when they go on long, you know, travel through another star or something like that, they go into these cryo-sleeping pods. Where usually with low tech, with, with low temperature and, and some other technologies, um, people being being um, yeah preserved for, for long periods of time to um, yeah to 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 to, to well to, to make this long journey, which might be years or even decades long, and and fundamentally what we're doing is the same concept. And the idea behind that, of course, is so my background, as you mentioned, is, is in medicine. And, and currently there's, there's still a large amount of diseases, be it cancer, be it heart disease and whatever you name it, um, which is currently with, with the current medical technology, not curable. Where people, when they're, when they're 70, when they're 80, when they're 85, 
um, they died due to these diseases. And of course, medical process progress is, is quite rapid. And you know, 20 years down the line, 30 years down the line, 50 years down the line, a significant amount of diseases that are currently lethal, where currently die due to them, will be curable. Right? Yeah. This, has been, this has been the history of medicine since the beginning of time, basically. Mm -hmm. Now, what cryopreservation does is that if you're being diagnosed with a, with a disease that is currently will lead to your death and cancer of course is always my go-to example because that's my background and that's also very tangible so there's a lot of cancers that are currently will lead to your death within six months within a year whatever then yeah. preservation is a potential technology where after you've been legally pronounced dead you're being cryopreserved with with low temperatures not freezing not freezing so nothing freezes um due to due to a cryoprotective agent and then now once medical technology has advanced enough in the future, uh, and when I say advanced enough, I mean a point where the underlying disease, so the disease that killed you in the first place is curable. And then of course, yeah. very importantly, where also the cryopreservation is reversible. So when you take someone out of cryopreservation and resuscitate them, bring them mm -hmm. back at that point, well, then they would be brought back to life. And of course, this is currently not a thing that is currently is something that you, you can't do yet. But then again, with future technology, it might very well be possible. So at the moment, there is, um, there's another facility uh, in America, right, which are doing this, but they haven't, um, in a, what, what is the status that there are just people being kept and we have the technology to keep them, but we don't have the technology to resuscitate them. Exactly. So there have been, have been organizations that have existed for decades. So the most prominently known one is probably Alcor, and then the yep. second probably CI, Chronics Institute, based in the US, um, that have been doing cryopreservations for, well, decades, since 40, 50 years, right? Mm -hmm. um, but to be very precise, they've only put people into cryopreservation and then maintained their cryopreservation. What they have not yet done is taking anybody out of cryopreservation. And it's not because they don't want to, it's because technologically, we as a society, we as a, as a, as a medical community, it's not possible as of now. But arguably, there's no fundamental problem with it. It's just, you know, a devil's in the details problems. There's a lot of problems that we currently can't solve, but which fundamentally will, at least, um, I, I would argue, which are likely to be solved over the next decades. What would you say are the the main problems facing resuscitating somebody, apart from the, the curing of the, the disease or whatever has killed them. Um, what, yeah, what are the, the most prominent things that are your, your issues you're facing? Right. So unfortunately in medicine, it's, it's rarely this one big thing. It's usually mm -hmm. a large set of small things that we don't well understand well yet. So um, the topics, for example, are this cryoprotective agent is, is toxic to a degree. So you need to reduce this toxicity and, and you know, take out the toxicity uh, when, when you want to resuscitate someone. Then cooling, cooling organs or cooling bodies or cooling tissue down to very low temperatures um, is, 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 um, creates different stresses on the, on the, on the cells. So Does it not damage them? Like freezer burn, essentially? Not, not that, luckily. I mean, this is why you use the cryoprotective agent to reduce mm -hmm. 
this amount of of what we you know when you take take a vegetable and put it into a freezer and then you take it out the vegetable after that is not really you know it has lost its structure to a degree right it's mm -hmm. not it would be great to eat after um, you've frozen um, I don't know an apple or whatever it might be um, for this you use this cryoprotective agent and so this is why I why I'm very much always avoiding the word freezing because nothing freezes it's a it's a it's a process that is called vitrification which mm -hmm. which is a word um, that describes um, basically um, well in, 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 in a, situ well, a situation or, or a type of how how this this um, material is being cryopreserved without without freezing um, but nevertheless still tells cells take some damage which needs to be repaired in the future and so on um, so, so fundamentally, what you can currently say that with with uh, model organisms in a lab, you can do preservations and take the organisms out of cryopreservation after, and they're fully fine. But now, between this model organism, which is you know microscopic almost, uh, like a very rel relatively small, and a human, there's a lot of devil in the details problems, um, and this is this is why why there's still a lot of research needed. There are. Uh, animals in the world, uh, I don't know about animals, but there are creatures right naturally that essentially do this, or is this something that we are completely creating? Yeah, so they do something similar. Um, so for example, the, the one of the very known animals is a so-called tree frog, which is, a, mm -hmm. which is a frog that during during winter um, goes into goes into a very, very deep stasis almost um, where where their body cools down significantly, almost um, or, or yeah, very close to the, to the point of freezing. And then comes spring and warmer temperatures and so on. They basically, by all intents and purposes, they resuscitate. Um, but technologically, um, there is a bit of a difference um, between these two things. Um, but it's the it's the fundamentally the same the same concept. This is also why we we talk about biostasis, so bio, mm -hmm. right, tissue, whatever, or living living matter, and then stasis, basically, and and um, uh, yeah, like 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 pausing pausing um, the biological processes to then restart yeah. later down the line. And is there a lot of research into, for example, these tree frogs and creatures that do this to kind of work out the mechanisms of how this works? Yeah, not enough. So um, yeah, there can always be significantly more research. So none of these are easy problems, right? I'm not saying this will be something that we will be able to do in the next whatever, three, two, four years, right? This will be this will be 10, 20, 30, whatever, 50, even 100 years until this will, or at least, I mean, this is this is this is pure speculation, right? It's very very difficult to predict um, when research will be um, when research yeah. do, will be due x or y or z. Um, but this will take a time, and this is until people will be out of, until people can be taken out of cryopreservation. But of course, if you are in cryopreservation, time is not really an issue for you. So no, you have the time, right? There's 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 no metabolic activity going on anymore. So at that point, um, you can wait as long it it takes. Um, so there is some research into into other organisms that do this naturally, um, but there's more research in cells and organs and and um, other avenues of research that might be that might uh, generate more low hanging fruits. Okay, is it something that you would would recommend? But um, 
would it be recommended that somebody does this before they are pronounced medically dead or is that even possible or do you have to wait like for example if you were terminally ill with a form of cancer and you knew you only had maybe weeks at the most to live could you do this before that you are actually fully died yeah that's not possible so no. legally speaking this is a, an experimental procedure so um None of the organizations and neither me or we or whatever um, are getting involved in that at all. So um, it, it's always at a time when yeah. patients who, who before they died give, gave very, very clear um, mm -hmm. formed consent. So very clearly stated that this is something they want to have done like orally um, written and, and really with, without yeah. any out that this is their, their absolute intended uh, what they want to have happen but from a from a procedural standpoint we would only always start once the patient has been clearly pronounced legally diseased and then practically speaking legally speaking um, the patient donated their body to this organization that does this cryopreservation. preservation so there's nothing done before the patient is legally dead um, okay so does that mean though that you have to react extremely quickly because a decay happens and the, the longer you leave it surely the less likely and the more difficult it's going to be to res uh, resuscitate somebody yeah absolutely so time is definitely an, an issue here or time is definitely a point that needs to be that needs to be well it needs to be as fast as possible um what, what's important to say though is that um what what we as society call debt changes over time mm -hmm. Past in the past, um, when people had heart attacks, when their heart stopped beating, well, this was it, right? And this is not super long ago. This was in the beginning of the twenty uh, of the twentieth century, right? Mm -hmm. uh, CPR, like resuscitation, you know, chest thumping and so on. This was not a thing back there, uh, back then. Um, so, so what we what we consider um, a, a point where a patient is dead and where you can't bring them back changes over time dramatically mm -hmm. right um currently if someone if their heart stops beating and you don't do cpr um that, that's medical malpractice right so the logic being that yeah currently for all intents and purposes we would call someone who is cryopreserved dead right their metabol metabolism is not running um, they don't have any brain waves they are well dead but then fundamentally, and this is now the idea of cryopreservation, you cryopreserve them at a time, and this is also why the speed is so important, you cryopreserve them at a time where their body with future technology still maintain, maintains the capacity for life. Okay. So where similar to how you know someone who dies and then CPR is done, the body still maintains the capacity and due to CPR and of course also more advanced procedures, you bring them back to life. And now the point what, what, what can be brought back, arguably, and I would argue that's a, a high probability, um, will change over time. And with cryopreservation, okay. you need to change as much so that you can then bring someone back from cryopreservation. What about brain damage? Because would that not be a, like a high risk? You could bring somebody back if, um, if the brain has started to like, when people are pronounced brain dead and people have been brought back, um, isn't that normal anyway, that brain damage will occur? So would that yeah. happen? So um, that again comes down to how much, 
how fast you are, right? So um, let's say someone is, is, has a heart attack and then the second, the second once the heart stops beating, and in that, of course, with that, of course, the oxygen that is being provided to the brain um, is being reduced. At that point, cells start dying. Yeah. That is what we call brain damage fundamentally, right? Cells mm -hmm. in the brain dying. And if more and more cells die, this becomes more and more and more and more pronounced and more and more, in quotation marks, visible brain damage. So now, if you start cooling very, very quickly, this is the fundamental logic of cryopreservation. If you cool, cells die later. So they can maintain low oxygen, so they can survive on a cellular level with lower oxygen for longer. Now you cool down very quickly and you cool down to a point where you can um, maintain cells at that, in, 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 at that temperature um, without dying for, for decades or even hundreds of years. Right, temperature is is very 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 um, powerful in that in that regard. Um, um, so yeah, so so there will probably be some cellular damage, but then the idea would be that with advanced medical technology, and I, I, I don't think they can we you can make any reasonable assumption. You know what medical technology will be able to do in fifty or hundred years. Um, mm -hmm. It will at least be probably very very advanced to compared to what we do today. It's, it's very much imaginable that um, that will then be, you know, repairable and um, then the patient will be able to be resuscitated. Well, I mean, it's, it is, it's actually impossible to guess when and where, because if you think like 20 years ago, would we expect it to be where we're at now? And 50 years ago, like we just can't predict where technology goes. Yeah. So. It's very difficult. And, and you just need to look back basically, you know, a hundred years ago, um, all the all the advanced medical technology that we currently consider absolutely normal was not even to be thought of back then. I mean, take mm -hmm. heart transplantation, right? This this is a relatively new technology. It wasn't in the sixties, sixties uh, and seventies. Um, before that, this was not a concept that anybody was aware of. Now it's a standard medical procedure, right? Um, genome sequencing was was not something to be thought of in the in the beginning of the of the twentieth century, right? So. And, and these advances will continue. It's very difficult to predict them because it's usually not a linear approach where you know everything happens per year, but it's usually yeah. a paradigm shift when then some new technology comes out and this changes the, the game. Um, but, but, but this will continue to be the case over the next, over the next years and decades. What is the kind of general scientific consensus amongst your peers and colleagues? I mean, apart from the people that you work with on this, is is it is it like an uphill battle and something that's really seen as fringe? Um, so, so it has changed over the time. So, in the, in the past, I, I would argue, yeah, it was it was a bit it was a bit fringe, probably, right? And it still is not mainstream by any means. Yeah. But, but then again, you know, if I talk to my my ex colleagues and, and doctors, um, you know, if you would have if you would have asked a hundred doctors, um, you know, twenty years before the first heart transplantation, if you would have asked them, hey guys, you know, what do you think about you know taking one heart from one human that has just died and putting it into another human that needs a new heart? And I'm very convinced that a lot of people would have been said like. Dude, this is this is no right. This is this is super weird. This is this is wrong. Yeah. This can't be done, right? So my point always being that what is normal right now, it, it doesn't mean that's good or bad or anything. 
right? It just means we, we, we don't have this new technology yet, right? So I'm, I'm always trying to, to look at these things from what, what is fundamentally possible and, and what are the you know, ethical, moral, and whatever downsides to it. And it, in, in, my, in my book, if, someone, if want, someone has the informed consent and really stated, this is what I want to have happen, then um, who am I to say that this is not something they're allowed to do or shouldn't do or whatever. So, um, but there's still a lot of research needed and there's also still a lot of discussion in the science, in the community, um, how, how in detail you should do the best cryopreservation, what is necessary to do a good cryopreservation and, and all of that. I, I've heard, I think there's a case in America of Alcor being sued, I believe. Um, is that something that uh, is a regular occurrence or something that you would be have uh, plans in place to stop if somebody did was pronounced medically dead and then their family actually opposed for them to be preserved? Uh, what kind of ways around that? Yeah, so, so it happens once in a while, right? I mean, um, it, it also happens because cryopreservation currently is not necessarily cheap. Um, it's, 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 you know, I mean, with alcohol, for example, the price tag is in the range of 200 or 200 something thousand US dollars. Wow. Um, we, we have one of, one of our, one of our clear goals is we're working very, very hard on making cryopreservation significantly cheaper to make it affordable for everybody. Now, do you have a ballpark figure for that? Like roughly, you know, is it under 50, under a hundred or? Yeah, so so I mean, this is not something that we will be able to achieve next year, um, but in the ballpark of ten to twenty thousand um, euros. But this wow. will this is not something. This is a mm -hmm. long term goal um, for for which um, significantly larger amounts of people who are interested in sign up are necessary um, to then you know take the savings that you can because you don't only need one medical team. For example, um, in general, what you call you know economics of scale, where you can provide a product significantly cheaper and more affordable if you just do it you know if if you if you sell it you know a million times versus you know ten times. Yeah. Um, so, so legal cases happen once in a while, um, some of which are due to the fact that the family says, hey, you know, we're not down with cryopreservation. We think this is, this is not necessary or, and, and then, you know, there's 200,000 euros that someone's getting, you know, that could also be our inheritance. Yeah, right? true. Uh, so, so that is, that is, that is one potential problem here, right? Um, then of course, there might be religious and, and moral objections and so on. Um, so of course in Europe, these cases, these these legal cases, suing everybody all the time and trying to get large damages and you know making Not a lot the same. It's it's less of a thing in Europe, right? Yeah. Um, so so I the, the danger or the you know the the danger of that in Europe is probably significantly lower than in in the US. Um, and and we are very very much focused on making absolutely sure that we have we have perfect and clear consent from the from the from the patient. Um, which then makes it significantly more difficult to to attack that wish. I just honestly, I, I can't. I find it quite shocking that they even have a leg to stand on suing over this. Like, if the person has given such clear consent with a clear frame of mind, uh, how can uh, yeah, how can they justify like it, where, even even over religious? You know, if there are religious connotations, the fact is, if that person decides that's what they want, surely that's their right. I just I find that shocking. The point is, I mean, the saying goes like you can sue about everything, right? I mean, the question is if you're sure. right or if you if you're being given and uh, if you if you if you win in the end, and mm -hmm. 
completely historically speaking, um, all the organizations that have been sued, be it in the US, be it in other countries, um, they they did relatively well in court. So, I mean, okay. I very well in court. So they did, they, they won most of the challenges they got from wherever, be it from patients, be it from some, you know, local funeral home, whatever it might have been, um, they did very, very well. So um, if, if you're very careful about how you do the procedure and so on, then um, from a legal standpoint, you're relatively, you're relatively safe. Okay. What, what happens, uh, well, what is the plan for financial issues? So for example, if I die and I have X amount of money or I have property or businesses or assets, um, uh, you know, because if it's all well and good at being affordable for, if it's 10,000 euros to, to preserve yourself, but if you preserve yourself and you, you wake up and, you know, with infl- inflation and everything, suddenly you've, you've got nothing, you know, what, what, what do you have to plan for that? Yeah. So there are always two things to consider here in regards to cost, right? So one is, let's say the, the until cryopreservation can be reversed, until people can be resuscitated, it takes significantly mm-hmm. longer than we think, right? Let, let's just for argument's sake, let's say it takes 200 years, right? And now you're being cryopreserved and now what, which money maintains your cryopreservation for that time? Right. So one thing that is very positive in that in that light is that maintaining cryopreservation is relatively affordable. Um, depending on technology, in most cases, it just takes liquid nitrogen. So you buy more liquid nitrogen, which is very cold, and uh, with this liquid nitrogen, you can maintain this cryopreservation. With some mm-hmm. advanced technology, maybe you can also use electricity and so on. But you need it's it's relatively affordable to the tune of few hundred to to maybe a thousand euros per year. So. Um being done to to always make absolutely sure that this amount of money is available for anybody or everybody anybody who who is being cryopreserved a large amount of money to the depending on organizations but let's take alco and us for example as an example um, somewhere in the vicinity of slightly above a hundred thousand us dollars or a hundred thousand euros are being put aside and this money then is maintained into in a non-profit foundation that invests this money with with a very risk averse um, investment strategy with kind of the assumption of having a return of investment per year in the range of 3%. Mm-hmm. 3% cuz historically you have 2% inflation of course currently you don't but you know maybe in 20 years you do again so 2% yep. inflation and then about 1.1% for you know return and this 1% then if you, if you're, for example, we will take somewhere in the vicinity of 120,000 euros currently, you know, this 1% gives you 1,200 euros per year that then maintains your credit preservation. Mm-hmm. The other amount of money, or there are two other pots of money that are needed. One is the one that, you know, resuscitation and the medical procedure to bring you back might be expensive. And then last but not least, you know, let's say you come back 50, 100, 200 years down the line. What money do you use then to live, right? Like with what, Mm -hmm. very difficult to predict how a future society might look, but let's say you need some money um, to, you know, buy food and and whatever, right? Um, So this is what this, this is why you only use the interest from this 120,000 euros. So the 120,000 euros basically stays inflation adjusted, the same, this money, and then, if you, when you, when you die, let's say at 80 or, or 90 or whatever it might be, if at that point you have larger assets, have larger net worth, 
you can also put some part of that money aside in a specialized in a specialized fund structure that then would return that money down the line um, once you're being resuscitated. Um, okay, interesting. I guess it's just so hard to predict what where society will be. I mean, maybe we won't even have money. You know, maybe that's no. I mean, uh, very possible, right? I mean, it's very possible that two hundred years down the line, money is not a thing. Um, but mm -hmm. again, um, better safe than sorry. Um, so it's it's. I mean, I I would not say that this is something that I would be even remotely able to predict, one way or the other. Um, yeah. Um, I've just got a question coming in, um, which is, uh, is the technology being looked at with regards to hibernation for the living? Um, I know that this is a bit sci-fi, but just thinking of things like space travel, which we did mention the space travel at the beginning. Is this something that is actually being studied? Yeah, very much so. Um, not not by us, though, because um, what, what is generally called hibernation is technologically not not it, it is it's targeting the fundamentally the same idea being low mm -hmm. temperatures means less metabolism means longer living with less resources so where they but but then again it's it, there is a difference in, in in how you would do it so what we could what what we could what we would call hibernation um, is definitely being looked at mostly in two areas one is literally space table so um for example, NASA is looking at it um, for a very long, you know, you know, to Mars or even further than Mars. But here you would not go, you would only cool down the body, the, the astronaut's body to, I, I don't know the exact number, but let's say 20 degrees Celsius. So you would, you would not go below, below the freezing point at all. And you do that to reduce the food intake that is necessary to maintain the body. And you reduce, do that to reduce the oxygen intake the body is needed. So this is one way it's done. The other part is um, in emergency medicine um, for to, um, to give more time where the body needs less oxygen again um, until the operation to save the patient can be done. So you do that, for example, in, in patients that have gunshot wounds. So there's a hospital in Baltimore that recently published um, um, recently, I think a few years or so, a few years ago, um, that published um, a study where they cool down patients on the operating table to make, give more time for the operation. And then last but not wow. least, so DARPA in the US um, is is putting research money into that for soldiers that are being shot on the battlefield to be able to bring them back and have enough time to bring them back to to you know the field hospital or whatever it might be um without them dying so there is there's a lot of research going into what we what, what you would call hibernation but it's it's um it goes in the same direction but there is a difference between cryopreservation and hibernation on the um the hibernation thing is that for deep space at least is that something that would uh, this might sound, might be a really stupid question but where would aging come into that? Yeah, I mean, um, arguably, you would age less. So, so um, the, the logic being the following, right? What what we call aging, right? I mean, is is basically arguably accumulation of different types of da damages, either mm -hmm. 
then you know generated intrinsically due to you know cells dividing and not doing it perfectly then also just by the fact i mean there's a saying like you know we age because we live because the metabolism creates you know it's it's not perfect it creates problems in quotation marks um mm -hmm. in quotation marks that what we then call aging um and that then manifest as as um diseases down the line if too much of that damage has accumulated um okay so if you reduce temperature, the metabolism runs at a, at a slower rate, which means it also, you know, makes less mistakes in quotation marks or less, you know, less damaged products and less byproducts are being generated. So arguably during hibernation, you, um, you age less. But then again, this is not something that can be recommended as an anti-aging strategy at all right now, because... <laughs> The procedure of hibernation again would be be also that very very experimental. Um, so probably the damage that you would currently accumulate with these lower temperatures would be way out outdo the damage that you would get from aging during the same time. Living, yeah, yeah, okay, basically, basically yeah. There's another question. Uh, would says would he do this himself? And if so, what would the fear be? Uh, yeah, would you do this? I, I'm guessing you would. You will. I, I, so, so I'm, I'm, I like life a lot. So my, my, I'm, I, I, I like living. I feel like living is definitely to pre, pre, to be preferred over. <laughs> um, so as everybody, I think is aware of, there's a lot of research going on currently in extending the human lifespan, right? With yeah. Helico and, and a lot of organizations in the U S being involved and research institutes being involved and so on. So I hope that I do not need to use cryopreservation. So I very much hope that all these other people, you know, that do the research in, you know, improving medicine and living longer and so on, um, that they will achieve what they're set out to do over the next, whatever, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. Uh, I, I just unfortunately think that this is, is very, very difficult because metabolism is difficult. Medicine is difficult. I mean, my background is in cancer research, right? I mean, they've been, they've been doing cancer research for, well, literally decades. And, you know, every 10 years they say, well, you know, 20 years down the line, we're going to have cancer solved um, about, about that. And of course, we're far from that. And the last time that I said it was in 2005. And when I say they, I mean the, the you know, sub, someone in the, in the cancer research community. So um, <clears throat> that I do not need to use any cryopreservation technology, um, but I believe I will need to. Yeah. So if it comes to it, I, I'll, I, I definitely will. Because okay. you now what's the downside? You know, I mean, yeah, sure. The downside is the money. It's it's not free, but I hope I can make it significantly more affordable over the next over the next you know ten or so years. And then again, if that's the case, if it's not prohibitively expensive, what is the downside? And of course, this is a very personal decision, and I would not feel comfortable making a recommendation what people should do at all. But um, my decision is that there is no significant downside, and you might just do it. And the fear, the other part of the, the fear would be that it doesn't work. Um, but um, so, so I, I don't believe the fact that, you know, some people say, you know, I don't want to be woken up in a, in a dystopian society in the future where everything is, you know, horrible and there's a lot of war going on and so on. Um, I, I, I think that the probability of that is pretty low because if you look at history over longer periods of time, Right, not the last like, last twenty years, but let's look at the last you know hundreds of thousands of years. 
society has always been getting better. By everything that you look at at a benchmark, society has been getting better, right? We have less child mortality, we have more freedom, we have more, um, we have we have less people who live under the poverty line, and so on. So I would argue that over long stretches of time, there's there's a good case to be made that we would rather wake up in a utopian society than a dystopian society. Um, yes. the, the downsides are are are. are there aren't any crazy large amounts of downsides. I just, I agree. My, my thought is the same Just why not? I mean, if, if you can do it, if it's available and you love your, you would love life, you enjoy living, um, then, then why would you not do that? If you, it's the same for life extension. I mean, we've had on the podcast previously, Dr. Nicola Conlon, um, who works with like NA, uh, NAD plus and um, is, I'm very passionate into the life extension longevity field. And when we, when we discuss that, it's like the, the kind of overall summary is if you are healthy and happy, then you wouldn't want to just end your life. It's you want, when you ask people, oh, yeah, do you want to live forever or do you want to let, extend your life? Often people will say, well, no, I, I just think it's natural to just die when I die. But the thing is, there is no, that just like, like with the, what you were saying earlier, it just, it's just extends what, what, what is death also. What is a healthy lifespan just expect, uh, extends so and you know, it, if we can it is make us live 50 years more no there's no question that yeah. dying is natural but that, that does not mean anything it doesn't mean it's good or bad right and it's always if people say not that true. it's always very important to remind them that um at 90 in 1900 dying on at the average at 40 years of age was natural the average lifespan in 1900 was 40. if someone day, dies today wow. Everybody would be like, that's a tragedy. Like, you know, that's, that's way too early. Mm -hmm. So, so what's fundamentally yeah. different than, you know, 80, where, where currently everybody says, well, yeah, it's, you know, that's how life goes. Um, so, so what has changed, you know, why, why so I, I don't understand. And I don't think there's a good argument for why 80 is the right time. If we today would say 40 no. is, and the people in the past said 40 is normal. And it's very, very possible that, you know, in a hundred years, people would say, well, these guys in 2020, um, why were they fine with 80? Now, yeah. you know, 50 is normal. Um, 80 is way too early, right? So the fact that it is natural, yeah, that is true. But, you know, planes are also not natural. So we're doing a lot as society. Medicine is not natural. We're doing a lot of things that are not natural because we as a society believe that from a value perspective, they're good. So if someone wants to live longer because they like life and whatever, whatever, um, I feel like um, there is there are a few arguments to make against that they shouldn't be able to do that or that is not is not in fact good. I agree. Yeah, completely. Um, we've got another. Oh, there's two more questions. Uh, one is, um, I think responding to what you were just saying, and but to come alive and only to die again. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's, yeah. So yeah, that that is that is a that is a, a a thing, right? So so maybe to to reiterate there a bit. Um, so the resuscitation of patients would only be done at a point where where three things are true. One, of course, you need to be able to do it um, with with a high degree of of quality and with a high degree of of reliability, similar to you, you like a normal operation right now. Mm -hmm. Second, 
you would of course need to be able to cure the underlying disease that, that led to the patient's death in the first place, right? So let's say again, cancer, you would need to be able to cure that cancer. And last but not least, third, we would only do that at a time when the lifespan for the, for the patient is significantly extended over, you know, how old they are. So as an example, uh, let's say you're being cryopreserved after a natural death, in quotation marks, natural death, um, you know, at 85, then we would not resuscitate a patient, or it doesn't make sense to resuscitate a patient if at that point, then the average lifespan is 87, right? So yeah. Back and then two years later, you know, they get another disease or whatever, and then they die due to that. So you would only do it at a time when, for example, at that point, then the lifespan um, is 150, where someone is being brought back at 85, and then they, you know, they have another, you know, 60 years of life. And during those 60 years, you can then advance technology enough to keep the patient, or or if the patient wants to, to maintain a healthy and active life longer. So only these, always these three things need to happen. You need to be able to do it. You need to be able to cure the underlying disease, and you need to be able to provide a relevant, a relevantly longer lifespan than from the time what the what the patient's age is. That's interesting. I've not really thought about that um, as a whole, especially the idea of uh, being resuscitated and being middle-aged, being going from being old. So then technically, you know, like you said, in theory, you could then be middle, what would be considered middle age is a very strange concept. Right, you would be potentially, yeah. not only potentially, that would be kind of the, the pre-requirement, um, the prerequisite for actually doing it. That you would then, mm-hmm. on a societal level, when you're being brought back, you're in the, your ballpark middle-aged. Wow. Okay, so um, we've got more questions coming in. This is quite interesting. Uh, is there interest in DNA preservation um, other than just a complete body? Like, I mean, I, I'm aware that there's, you have the option at Alcor to preserve just your head, if I'm right, or you're just your brain, is that correct? Mm-hmm. You are, you, you do. I mean, Alcor, the head, yeah, the head. So, and what about yeah, just the, yeah, DNA preservation? Yeah, so, so it, it makes sense to a degree, but it's it's just, um, so, so, so these are not two competing things. So. I don't think it makes much sense to say, well, you know, I'm interested in living longer and that's why I preserve my DNA, right? Because your DNA is not mm-hmm. you, right? Like if we move away from- Your consciousness is- Yeah, and, and if we're moving, if, if we don't believe in any metaphysical explanation of, of, of consciousness or, or religious explanation of consciousness, like soul and whatever, whatever, um, then arguably the connections in your brain is what makes you, you, what makes me, me. Right. So you need to preserve that. The DNA is not enough. And the DNA does not include the information to rebuild the structure in your brain. It includes part of the DNA. Is that like your, your memories? and? Yeah, because you need basically, I mean, there's this, there's this nurture, nature versus nurture um, kind of discussion, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yes, your DNA includes part of the building plan. But then the other part is the experiences that you have made in your life and that shapes the connections in your brain. So if you just main, keep your DNA, um, you would not be you by, by any intents and purposes. You would have the same DNA, but this would not mm-hmm. be, right? Um, at least not in regards to- A clone, your, essentially. Lived experience and your consciousness and so on. So yeah. um, you're preserving DNA makes sense, but not 
due to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for, it's the same as like cloning. Like the clone wouldn't be the same. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Interesting. Um, I've, I'll just answer this one, and then I, okay, I've got a few questions as well. <laughs> uh, so this is great, though. Please keep them coming. Uh, should uh, should there be restrictions because of population increases and the knock-on effects? So that was actually something I wanted to ask myself. <laughs> yeah. Population increase is definitely an issue, and I think there are a few points to be said there. So first of all, the amount of people who who are interested in cryopreservation right now is negligible for any population increase, even if the amount would be a hundred or a thousand x higher, it would still be negligible. So a thousand x higher would then be around a million people, um, you know, signed up for cryopreservation. Currently, I mean, it's a bit more. It would be like three million or something like that, or four million. Mm -hmm. But four million extra people a hundred years in the future is negligible. Um, yeah. You know, that's that's a rounding error if you're talking at that point maybe ten billion. Um, in Although, the other can I just? Go ahead, sure. Can I just interject with that? Um, although um, you you were saying that you need more people to get the prices down to be, say, 10,000 euros, would yeah. you not need more than 3 million people to do that? Not even remotely. No. So, um, so you can okay, cool. get the prices down if you, if you are in the range of 100,000 to a million. So significantly less than, like the prices go down significantly quicker than population, um, population increase problems. Mm -hmm. So the other important thing is population in Korea historically has been a has been like crazy growth, right? You know, again from the 1900s, yeah. what was 1900s a billion people or something like that, and now we're at yeah. seven. So it's insane, right? But all estimations currently are are leading to a level off of population somewhere in the thing. I don't remember if it's exactly correct, but somewhere in the vicinity of nine to twelve billion or something like that. So maintaining like we're not we're not on the growth trajectory anymore to let's say 100 billion people like we're, we're, we'll probably level out as the global population around the you know 11 billion uh, mark what's very important is the the earth does not necessarily have a problem with maintaining that amount maybe even 20 billion and i'm not an i'm i'm, I'm not a i'm not a you know public health or or, or researcher in that field or at all or something at all but um with vertical farming, you know, with new types of energy um, and so on, you can probably maintain significantly more people. The Earth currently has a distribution problem. You know, the Western countries have way too much. Other countries have way too mm -hmm. little. But it's it's not really the case that we have literally as the Earth a problem that we can't maintain, for example, let's say 11 billion, right? Um, so population increase is, is, a, is more a theoretical problem than a, a tangible problem due to those two factors. Okay, interesting. Um, will, will you guys have, this is another question that just came in, um, will there be mental health support in place as someone will awaken across their loved ones? Um, and yeah, what kind of preparations do you, I, I guess in there ask, what preparations do you have? For, for yeah. That? Oh, um, all of the above, basically. So, and all, all of the, all of that mm -hmm. will be, will be important, right? So, um, I mean, this is this is not something where you would say, well, you know, now you've been you know, you've been woken up, and now you know here's the door, figure it out, right? So, I mentioned before that there is different buckets of money that is being kept for you know making this thing feasible and, and doing all the procedures that are necessary in the future. 
And part of that money is also um, earmarked for, for exactly that reintegration in society, potentially retraining and all of that, right? Um, so mm -hmm. the idea would be that you do everything to give the patient high quality life um, in the future, right? Which means, you know, all the medical stuff that we discussed about, but which also means, you know, all the support infrastructure that makes them succeed in a future society, right? Which would include, yeah, from mental health to reintegration training or you know, yeah, explaining a new society and all of mm -hmm. that probably be significant changes, of course, um, and all of that. Um, I believe, though, that um, even though society changes significantly, at least over the last, let's say, you know, 300 years or so, you know, the, the fundamental rules of society somehow stayed the same, right? I mean, what we're currently doing, of course, would be very, very foreign to, to anybody, you know, 100 years ago, right? But if you, because I mean, we're video chatting, right? We're somehow in front of screens and all of that. But then again, I mean, if you yeah. sit on the table with your friends, that interaction, if you, if you don't touch your mobiles, that interaction is exactly the same you know, 300 years ago, you know, you have a fork, you have a glass, mm -hmm. food, you talk to each other, right? Um, probably you almost talked about kind of the same almost things, right? You know, what's going on with the weather, what's what's going on, you know, at work, what's going on in the family and your relationship, right? So as long as I think these things are fundamentally maintained, and it, I feel like it looks like they will be maintained for a good amount of time, um, there's a there's a pretty high chance that you will be able to, you know, understand future societies, um, even though if you've been cryopreserved for a hundred years with some help. Yeah, I think so. I, I think even that the same thing that could happen now, if you were to take somebody from a hundred years ago, it wouldn't take long to integrate them into society now. Exactly. Um, I, I, on the next day, but you know, um, you know, yeah. they would be able to do with some amount of training. I believe that the biggest uh, negative impact will be the emotional one like it, it must be a very very strange well, nobody's experienced it really but it, in theory it must be extremely traumatizing and, and quite daunting to if you would wake up and everybody you know is dead and because i guess the closest thing now would be like somebody in a coma who wakes up 10 years later and everything's changed around them how overwhelming that must be because you you go in there think with the same mindset and nothing's changed uh I, actually I, I read a book by stephen king uh, recently uh, uh, about a guy who came went in a coma and you know, he, he woke up his girlfriend had uh, moved on and had a baby and it just like it kind of brought over this this huge damaging psychological impact of where the last thing he remembers is you know going on a date with her and then suddenly he wakes up and for that extreme I mean yeah, yeah. That's an issue. Like, there's no, there's no question there, right? This is not super easy. So, so I think there are two things, right? So, first of all, I mean, ideally, um, if your friends and your family is down, I mean, they theoretically would be cryopreserved or could be cryopreserved as well, as well, right? So, you might have some people that you knew knew from the past come with you into the future, right? And of course, this is very much what we're going for, right? Um, so, even to mm -hmm. the, you know, you will have you know family discounts, friends with discounts, and whatever, right? Because it makes a lot of sense. Um, and the other part being that I, I think that that humans have a, 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 a tremendously high um, capacity to make do with with 
you know, un, like from from non-ideal to horrible scenarios, right? I mean, people mm -hmm. have yeah. in, in, you know, crazy traumatizing wars, and yes, these are horrible things. But somehow, over time, the, the human mind has the has the capacity to integrate that in some way and still live a, a, a high quality life, right? So, while I very much agree that this will definitely not be an easy thing. I think most people would be able to 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 you know integrate these new concepts and whatever and and this this trauma and 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 um, you know issues into into a meaningful life in the future. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's great. I I mean I hope so. <laughs> I would like to be able to bring my family. Uh, um, although I feel that it it's one of those subjects that. Is not most people are kind of against it, yeah. really. I mean, yeah. I'm well, hoping that after this, you know, people listening. So, so we when we we we, we did large studies recently um, in in the US and in in Germany um, okay. about you know, so you know, there's this concept of crowd preservation. Is this something you're interested in? Is this something that you feel like it's exciting? Would you want to do it? <laughs> and depending on how you ask and where you are, US or Germany, you have always about a third of people who say, yeah, this is exciting. This is interesting. I'm not sure if I want to sign up yet, but this is something I want to look into. And mm -hmm. it's of course way higher than we would ever expect it. So we, we, we ran this study twice because we thought we, we did, you know, we thought there's something wrong. Yeah. Um, seems to be a significant interest, right? Um, then a third of people are usually like, you know, this is not something for me. I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm neutral. I don't, I don't really care. And a third is, yeah, this is not something for me. I'm, I'm not doing that, right? Um, yeah. Do you know uh, the demographics of that? And um, like, is it older people who uh, who want to be preserved, or is it younger people who are more open to it? It doesn't correlate with age. So the interest um, doesn't correlate with age. So so the, the study, the US one, has a has a smaller bias because we recruited um, responses online. So it has a bias towards younger people, um, more tech savvy people. Mm -hmm. um, on but not much a bit but it's still relatively representative and in in germany it is actually representative um because we did it with a with a, a market research company um and germany has less interest but this is mostly explained due to the fact that there's more less knowledge about it in germany and europe as a whole um but it doesn't correlate with age it doesn't correlate with wealth um it, it doesn't correlate with um with, with a lot of things where we would say, hey, you know, this should be a or this might be a correlation. Mm -hmm. It seems to be that it correlates probably with some with some fundamental belief that technology can do it. And then probably with with a belief that um, living longer um, is is a positive value. Mm -hmm. But well, not, if you can increase your, your net uh contribution towards society and your own experiences, then I, I just can't see that it is it. Any negativity. One of the, uh, one of the questions that just popped up, which is something that I thought of my, of asking myself, but for a different, uh, a different reason. So uh, somebody's asked, uh, should this be prioritized for saving endangered species, which links in with my, my question, which was going to be, would this be something you would offer to pets? <laughs> so, but yeah, animal preservation. So, so um, for endangered species, um, 
so 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 arguably for endangered species probably um there are better ways to do that right just for example you know you know saving the last um um you know the la if there is there's there's just few individuals from that species still around you know making sure that they survive and so on right um because mm -hmm. again like it doesn't work right right you can't bring someone back yet right so yep. uh, you don't directly there's probably better cheaper methods to do that um and then for endangered species at least for some dna would also be fine um because then i mean at least from an endangered species standpoint you don't necessarily care about maintaining or maintaining the um the consciousness or you know whatever it is in an animal um the memories of that animal you more care mm -hmm preserving the biodiversity of that species right so dna at that point might also be fine um and then for for your pet questions um so we're we're very much focused on on humans um mm -hmm. nevertheless with with a with a sub brand um j just realistically speaking right i mean in a, in a hospital you also only like like your host, your pets don't go to your, the same hospital where you go to, right? So so um, so we're very much focused on on building a medical company or are a medical company for humans. Nevertheless, yeah. um, of course, there are families where where pets have almost the same attachment as as children, maybe, or mm -hmm. when perceived as something as close as as children. Um, so, so we're gonna we have we have a you know sub brand and a, a kind of like a separated uh, thing where where pets would also be able to be cryopreserved, but only if the the human um, has a cryopreservation contract as well. So we're not gonna offer it as a service for pets if someone wants to do that for their for their pet, but not for themselves. Okay, how how does it work or how will it work? So it will. Or you need just to pay upfront the amount, whatever the total is, or will there be insurance companies that you can work with that offer this? Or yeah, how and how do people? How would people sign up when when you're actually running? So uh, fundamentally, there are there are two big ways of how to fund cryopreservation contracts, right? So one is more makes more sense when you're younger, and one then would be the one where you're older. Right? If you're older, let's say you, you know you're 75, um, at that point you would need to pay out of pocket. So you need to mm -hmm. wire a part or the whole money, and you know right now, and then once something happens to you, we have the money to do the career preservation. Or under certain circumstances, you can do that in your last will and only pay a part now, and then the, the rest is being brought paid out of your um, out of your estate um, once you die. Now, as we mentioned before, cryopreservation is relatively expensive right now. So our prices here in, in Germany with, with tomorrow biostasis start at 100,000 euros uh, for one cryopreservation, um, which, which means if you, let's say you're 25 and you want to have a cryopreservation and you're, you're, you're studying, right, then, you know, practically no one can pay 100,000 euros out of pocket. And even if they can, they might not want to because they would rather, you know, invest the money or whatever. So at that point, it makes a lot of sense to um, to fund your cryopreservation um, with a term life insurance contract. So we have a large term life insurance company as one of our partners, where if you sign up with us in the background, practically speaking, a term life insurance contract is being formed. And when I say term life insurance, term life insurance make, mean, mean, always means you pay a monthly fee and then should you die till a certain date, so term life insurance have an end date. 
Should you die for that date, a hundred or 200,000 euros or whatever your coverage amount is, is being paid out. And mm -hmm. it's relatively affordable. So we have, for example, contracts that start at 30 euros per month, right? <laughs> and the logic of that is always, since it has an end date, there's only a certain probability that you're going to die before that. So the insurance can, can offer this service relatively affordable. And then the idea, of course, is always, let's say, let's say you're 25, you're studying business or computer science or whatever it might be. Um, and, but any career where you would say, hey, you know, when I'm, when I'm 60 or when I'm 70, at that point, I'm going to probably be able to pay 100,000 euros out of pocket. Or, and that's what I hope, that at that point, we will be able to, to offer it significantly cheaper. Now, you mm -hmm. term life insurance where your, where your risk of death is low. So the term life insurance is cheap. Let's say till the age of 70 or 60. And for that, you pay, as I said, like starting from 30 euros a month. And then at that point, your term life insurance lapses. So you don't have, if you're 61 and your, your term life insurance only runs till 60, then at 61, yes, you don't have coverage anymore. But at that point, you might have enough money to just pay out of pocket if you need to. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. So this is your logic. When, when you're young, term life insurance is cheap and you can easily protect against, you know, getting hit by a car or, you know, cancer or, you know, of course, that's not high probability, but um, there's still, unfortunately, when I was still practicing medicine in, in, in med school and so on, there's always people coming in that unfortunately have cancer very, very early on, um, even yeah. though, statistically speaking, it's not a crazy risk. Um, and that's also why the insurance is so cheap, because the insurance, of course, knows that. Um, so it's, it's, it's basically exactly like the, you pay exactly as much as the risk is about like. Okay. Uh, you were said when you were in med school, I'd actually like to backtrack a bit if it's okay. And kind of, uh, we, because we didn't go over this at the beginning. How, how did you actually get into this? Because this seems like quite a jump from being a, a doctor to, 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 to saying up this. I mean, I, I don't know if it's even that much of a jump, right? I mean, it is, of course, it's a jump, traditionally speaking, right? Um, so, so, so my kind of background in, in, um, in, you know, in a nutshell was I studied medicine um, with originally the plan to go into cancer research. So I did a lot of cancer research stuff. Um, and then I, I started uh, building tech companies um, here in Berlin. Um, some medical some absolutely not medicals also you know data analysis and you know, very much also maybe even a bigger jump to what i'm doing now um and I did that for a few years um but the my my fundamental motivation why i'm doing all these things was always the sector of longevity and life extension so this is why i went into med school, right i went into med school to do you know research for longevity and life extension topics um The, the reason why I then at some point um, switched over to, to cryopreservation and biostasis is because unfortunately, as I said before, medicine and, and biology is very, very hard. It's very difficult, right? See this example with cancer research, right? There's billions of dollars being spent every year. And it's, it's not like this is progressing significantly, super quickly. And, you know, we, we, can, we cure one cancer entity. Oh another yeah there are advances but then again i mean we've also been doing the war on cancer for 40 years well even more than that um or yeah i, I, don't, i don't know exactly the number but but um, significant i think 76 or something um mm -hmm. never, um living longer is like and, and, you know 
life extension and anti-aging and so on is is even more complex probably so um since the sector i don't think that there's a super high probability as i said before i hope that i never need to be cryopreserved but i believe i will need to if i want to live longer so that was my fundamental yeah. fundamental kind of reasoning and that's why i went into med school that's why i went into into cancer research that's why i went into building companies um to make the money to then now be able to invest into in, into this Wow. So all of the time whilst you were building up these companies, you had it in your mind. This was like you're working towards a goal of setting this up. So, so I'm not, I'm not, yes. <laughs> um, and all of that, what we're currently doing is, is non-profit, right? So, so um, this is not about um, making money by any means. It's only about making as much money so that we can grow it further. And then by growing it further and having more, more customers making it cheaper and making it better so being able to then invest into into research and due to the new research and making it cheaper have more customers and kind of then have a flywheel um, where more customers lead to smaller prices and leads to lead to better quality um, mm -hmm. but this is not about um, this is not about you know personal money at all it's, it's all it's all structured as a as a different types of nonprofits Wow. Uh, what do your family uh, think think of think of this? Have they been supportive from the start? Do you do you have uh, are, are your uh, your parents alive and are they wanting to be uh, cryopreserved? Or? So so they're very supportive. Um, it, it's not like that they're my cool. customers. So um, so so they have. Not, <laughs> um, I I don't know if they will, um, but they're definitely not a not, not against it or any by any means. I mean, I haven't grown up in a um very yeah family that's i mean they're very supportive with basically all of the things and, and and that as well but um i don't know if they would have started an organization themselves or anything like that <laughs> okay i'm uh, just gonna check uh we've got um we've done just over an hour which is great in fact we've done an hour and five minutes just gonna see there's a few more comments um uh i would expect those interested in doing uh, okay, it says, um, I would expect those interested in doing it are those that high, have a higher self-worth or in a place where they don't want to lose what they have. Somebody in a poorer situation or has a low self-value probably would not want to potentially repeat this. Mm. Yes. Yeah, how do you tackle that? Um, you know, it, 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 it always comes down to a degree to this hierarchy of needs, right? Um, if, if, you're, if you're fighting every day about, you know, how do I pay rent next month? And how do I bring food on my table next month? Then unfortunately, this is unfortunately not a topic that you will feel like has a high priority for you on a daily basis. Um, no. And this, this, is, this is a problem. And, but this is not necessarily a problem that is unique to cryopreservation, right? This is also unique to society. Yeah, and, and unfortunately. And, and that's, that's one reason why we try to make it or, or put a lot of effort into into thinking about and, and doing the thing so that we can make it very affordable it, it won't be a thing mm -hmm. that where it costs you know 150 euros at some point it will always be significantly more expensive unfortunately but at least bring it down as much as we can and even going so mm -hmm. far um, as i said this whole thing is a non-profit so um, one thing that we will send up set up probably at the end of 2021 um, is is something like a hardship fund so if people want to be cryopreserved, um, let's say they have some terminal disease, and, and you know this is their this is their full wish, their full declared wish, 
um, but they can't, they, they just can't afford it, right? Um, at that point, um, we're, we're founding a fund where wealthy people can pay money into this fund um, to then pay for cryopreservations um, for people who can't afford it, either as donations or if wow. they sign up, for every sign up a small amount of money um, from the monthly, what, what, what is being monthly paid for us for all the infrastructure and so on, goes into that fund. And um, so, so, so the idea is to, to make this difference as small as possible. But unfortunately, with every advanced medical technology, it is not fully possible in the very beginning. But it is possible that it is doable in the future, right? Okay, great. No, that's brilliant. Just to, to finish up, is there, uh, have you got any information or how, what would you recommend uh, as a resource for people that are listening that want to know more about this and want to yeah, find out a, about what you're doing with it and in general about the field of, of cryopreservation? Right. Why would you say for people to start? Right. So first of all, of course, they can, they can easily start on our, our webpage, right? Tomorrowbiostasis.com. Um, so tomorrowbiostasis.com. Um, and there's a lot of links, outgoing links to other resources, to, to videos we've made um, and so on. Um, so that might be that might be a thing. Um, if you've never really thought about this topic and kind of want to have a, a rundown of the of the arguments and you know what what the logic behind it is and so on, um, then there's a there's a good article on a, on a web page called Wait But Why. It's a few years old, but still gives a rundown of you know this whole. It's a very much a long form article, so you need to bring a few you know, a few minutes to read it all. But it's a very good one on one introduction. Okay be recommended and if you go on our web page it's also linked there um yeah i think this this is kind of the 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 go-to places and then i mean as i said like um we're we're more than open also to just have a chat with every anybody who's interested even though if they've not decided yet to sign up but just you know want to ask some questions um we have a team and also I'm, I'm being part of it, um, that, that is always down to jump on a half hour call um, to discuss and to, to answer questions and so on. Um, and, and also not only if they want to sign up with us, but also let's say they're from another country where we're not even able to, or we're not currently active, but they might want to sign up with Alco or CI and, and need some help or whatever. Um, we're more than happy to provide that. So um, also feel free to just, to just reach out to us. Brilliant. What is the timeline uh, when you're expecting to be up and running? Oh, in, in Germany we are. So we're we're accepting. Uh, you have people now accepted. So so not as they're not cryopreserved. So we don't have patients yet. But that's um, what I mean. Sorry, yeah. No, no. So and and the reason for that is because um, of course how we run this whole thing. Our target group is mostly people in the age range of twenty five to forty, right? So just statistically speaking, it's not super likely that anybody of those is going to die anytime soon, right? Um, so we're, we're more going for a younger demographic, um, but of course, this, this from a marketing perspective, anybody and everybody, no matter of age, is, is, uh, is of course welcome. Um, but from a marketing standpoint, because it's significantly easier to do marketing for, with you know, 25-year-olds than with you know, 85-year-olds. Yeah. So I received the emails from you, um, and uh, you're talking about into, into the construction phase for, the, for one facility, right? Yeah, so that that's a research facility. So as as we discussed in in, in multiple, uh, yeah, in the in the call, um, research is very mm -hmm. very 
here. And we kind of have the separation, right? We, we, we have a customer facing company that is tomorrow biostasis. And that mm -hmm. gets more customers to then be able to do more research. But a company, the, the, the structure is not necessarily the best structure to do research. So we, we then hand that over um, to a research organization that is purely focused on, on the biomedical, you know, you know, basic science, almost research of that. Yeah. Cool. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. If there's anything else you would like to say, feel free. And yeah, I think, I think we covered all. I appreciate doing this. That you can, of course, you can talk way, way longer about this topic. But you know, in a nutshell, uh, and if the, if people are interested, as I said, feel free to reach out. Um, we're more than happy. Even though you know, just want to answer some questions, we're more than happy to take some time um, to discuss with people. Um, yeah. And then last but not least, yeah, perfect. Yeah, viewers, and of course to you, um, and talk to you soon. Yeah, I'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'll be in touch, and I'll, I'll keep following what you do, it's great. I'm really interested on a personal level and maybe when uh, the research facility is set up, um, maybe when lockdown is over, we can do the podcast again. Or if you do a, uh, if, if you're at any conferences, maybe we can we can do a little catch up uh, podcast. There. Yeah, um, maybe that's that's another point, maybe that I forgot. Um, so we're running, we're running a, a yearly annual um, biomedical research conference which was just the first installment uh, in the end of October. And the next one is going to be in October 2021, um, actually this time located in Zurich and not online, called biostasis2021.com. So feel free to check that out as well if you're interested in the research part of things. Cool, perfect. Okay, uh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. This has been Shifty Perspective, episode 25 with Dr. Emil Kenziora. We will put any links in the description and you can check it out make sure you follow the links. If you've got any questions, send me a message or send them a message.